Each day from my office, I get to see how homeopathy is transforming lives all over the globe. And I want to share them with you. Some of my students have really caught my eye. Some of you have done all you can to learn how to cure those around you using homeopathic medicines. And your successes inspire me. They're glorious and powerful, and I can't keep these successes a secret any longer. So, with help from my roving reporters, we bring you a mini podcast series that I call Moms with Moxie, and sometimes we even interview dads with audacity. See how regular mothers and others, average people who want to cure those around them, have gone from freaking to fabulous with homeopathy. You are listening to podcast number 50 at practicalhomeopathy.com. Hi, this is Kate, and I'm here with Catherine today. Catherine is a brave, strong woman, and you will be amazed at the stories she has to tell. And I know that you will learn something today from her. So Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to learn from you, Catherine, because I've heard some pretty amazing stories about the things that you've gone through and how you've used homeopathy in amazing ways. So why don't we get started by learning a little bit more about you. Give us some information about where you live and your family. Sure. I'm from Texas, and I've been married to my husband, Nam, for 14 years. We have twin five-year-old daughters, Charlotte and Esther, and a newborn daughter, Rosemary. As Catherine and I have been talking, preparing for this podcast, I think that Catherine is brave. That's the word that comes to my mind when I think about Catherine, because she is one tough cookie. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so, Catherine, you say that um, you are a, a proponent of people advocating for themselves, and that's what you do. You are an advocate for yourself, for your children, for your family. Just give us a little bit of a background in how you came to be such a strong advocate for your health. Yeah, so my background, I really didn't have a particular interest in anything medical or advocacy for myself until. 2010 then I was pregnant with twin boys and sadly I delivered them very early during my second trimester and Isaac and Samuel both passed away very shortly after birth and that was horrible and wow. all the doctors that I met with yeah they all said well that was a fluke well that was a twin thing and I had lots of frozen embryos because we had done IVF and I assumed correctly that I would have twins again and I couldn't go with just a fluke or a twin thing so I really had to dig in and research and find out what had happened and what I could do to prevent it again and um, that put me in contact with lots of other women who were courageous and brave and had gone through similar things and uh, had a better outcome and it took me out of state and definitely out of my comfort zone but as my husband and I explored and researched that area, we really learned about advocacy. We learned about understanding the true parameters of a situation. Just because somebody tells you what something is, that doesn't mean that's actually true. And sometimes it might be, but we really learned how to identify correct parameters with our sons, Isaac and Samuel, passing. Wow. So that's where advocacy started. Catherine, I can't even imagine what you went through. I'm so sorry that that happened. Catherine, can you give us a little bit more of an understanding what you mean when you say find out what the true parameters are? Sure. So when something happens, you go to the doctor that you have a relationship with or who has been with you through something, and you ask for his expertise, and he gives them to you as if it's fact. And that may not always be the case. So for me, with my sons, Isaac and Samuel, I was told, that's it. It was a fluke. It's a twin thing. We don't know. It probably won't happen again. And I went to the next doctor, a specialist, and met with him. And he said, it's just a fluke. We don't know why. It probably won't happen again. But then I went to an out-of-state doctor who happens to be the world's foremost expert, in my opinion, on cervical insufficiency. And he said, no, it's not a fluke. This is a classic incompetent cervix. 
and here are your options and here's what I think is best and here's why and so if I had just stuck with what those other doctors said as fact fact it's a fluke fact it probably won't happen again then in all likelihood I would have lost more children and so because I really wanted to make sure that those boundaries were in fact true they were correct I found out that they weren't. I was able to get other information and other insights. You didn't take no for an answer, right? You just kept digging in and researching and kept looking for what you thought was the sufficient answer and you really wanted to know the truth. I did. I remember sitting in the, the second doctor's office that I consulted with and I said to him, I feel like I'm fighting for my future children's lives. And he kind of smirked and laughed and said, well, you're not really in that camp yet. But I think he's wrong. I was in that camp. I had frozen embryos that I felt it was my obligation to protect and to give a chance at life. And I really was fighting for them. That boggles my mind. How could he even say that? Oh, my gosh. So you actually took a trip out of state to see this other doctor. You found him. Do you mind me asking who this doctor was that you found? Because maybe some other listeners want to know who this is. Yes, Dr. Arthur Haney is at the University of Chicago, and he is well known for his work with cervical insufficient patients. And he performs a particular surgery called a transabdominal cerclage, which is a permanent cerclage placed through surgery. It is very different than a traditional vaginal cerclage that many women are familiar with. So I was able to do a free phone consult with him and free email with him because he just has a heart to want to help moms who have gone through this. He gave me the information, my husband and I prayed on it, and we met with several older couples that we really trusted to kind of run through the information to make sure we were understanding it and thinking through it correctly. You've got to have your people around you that you trust so that you can run information by them. And we ended up traveling out of state. He's in Chicago, and I had surgery there, which on the front end of it, going out of state for surgery and then staying in a hotel you know, after being open, oh that sounded really scary to me, but uh, it was fantastic. And there's a group of women who advocate for this particular procedure called ATTAC, and they really helped prepare me. It's just a great sisterhood to be a part of. And Dr. Haney is a saint for helping all of us. So when you say TAC, is that an acronym? What does that stand for? Yeah, TAC, T-A-C, stands for Transabdominal Cerclage. Okay, so there's a, a Facebook group or? Probably the best group to get information about that procedure is called Abby Loopers, and their website is abbyloopers.org. A-B-B-Y-L-O-O-P-E-R-S.org. Great. Thank you for sharing that information. So then you healed from that and everything went okay after that? <laughs> uh, not quite. I thought that we would be able to jump right back into fertility and, and do a frozen embryo transfer. Unfortunately, I um, noticed that my vision changed. And so I went to the doctor because why wasn't I seeing? And uh, after lots of trial and error and looking into different things, it turned out that I had a very small benign tumor on my optic nerve. And I didn't know enough back then to know of alternative methods. I did ask the oncologist, are there alternatives to radiation for this? And he said, no, there were not. And I don't know what happened to my advocacy self, but <laughs> I, think, I think I was just scared because my vision had changed and um, I couldn't see. I'm thinking through this, you know, as you're saying it. And I think it's so important if you can't advocate for yourself to have someone else who can advocate for you. If you were in the hospital, have someone there the yes. entire time. Yes, absolutely. And my mother and my husband were champions for me, but we were still inside of a conventional paradigm. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where, I don't know that I failed. I mean, that's where I was at that time, but I advocated for myself within that conventional paradigm. So I did end up having radiation for that tumor. And then after that, I had a wait period and then we were able to pursue fertility, and I did, in fact, then have my twin daughters. Wow. How exciting to have twins. It was very exciting. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about where in that period of time you learned about homeopathy. Sure. So just like Joette says, 
a new mom really wants to make sure she's doing the right thing for her children. And certainly I had fought very hard to have these girls and I wanted to do the best by them. So when my daughters were about a year old, one of them developed this really horrible diaper rash and it wasn't minor. It was down her legs and up her backside and really painful for her. And I tried lots and lots of naturopathic things. And after a month and a half or so, it just was not gone and it was getting worse. So I loaded her up and we drove an hour away to our pediatrician because I can't just have a pediatrician close by, of course, <laughs> in particular. The nurse practitioner looked at it and she said, well, you know, have you done this? And I said, yes. Have you done this? And I said, yes. And she went through this list of naturopathic things. I had done all of them. And she said, well, you've done everything I would recommend. So at this point, we really need to go ahead and give her a steroid cream. And I know I hear everybody gasping, but I didn't know. And my child was in pain. So I took the prescription for the steroid cream and we went home and it was the tiniest little tube. And I look back and that was such a blessing. But I applied the cream and sure enough, that rash started improving. It did not go away by any means, but it started improving. And just when I thought we might be over a hump of it going away, the tube of cream ran out. So in the time that I had to wait for the doctor's office to call in the refill and the pharmacy, the rash came back with a vengeance. And Kate, I think it was literally a one day delay, but it came back horribly. And I went ahead and applied the second tube and we went through it and it never made a dent in the rash. It just remained really terrible. And I'm so thankful for that, but I didn't know that then. <laughs> and so I thought, well, if I take her back to the pediatrician, she already told me the next step would be giving her an oral antifungal. And I thought, I don't want to give her this oral antifungal. She's a baby. So I really wasn't sure what to do, but my child was still in pain. And my husband said, look, take her to the doctor tomorrow and take her to a real doctor, which is pretty funny because he knows <laughs> that I would have gone to a naturopathic doctor or the chiropractor or if I could have found it, a witch doctor, anybody besides back to the pediatrician because I did not want to give that oral antifungal. Yeah. So I had my marching orders, take her to a real doctor. And then I remembered, hey, there's a real doctor who's not very far, real meaning he's an MD, <laughs> and he practices something called homeopathy. And I don't really know a ton about that, but it's not going to be a prescription for the oral antifungal. And it meets my husband's criteria of a real doctor. <laughs> so off we went. Did your husband know that you were taking her to an MD no. homeopath? No, I didn't <laughs> tell him. I just said, yes, I'll go to a real doctor. <laughs> And so we went, I took her to the real doctor, this homeopath, and he asked a few questions. Well, actually pretty in-depth questions, and they were difficult to answer because she was 14 months old, and he's a classical homeopath. So that was pretty hard to answer those questions right. about my 14-month-old preferences. Anyhow, he asked questions, and then he did do, you know, an overall exam, listening to her and looking at her. And then he went over to his cabinet. And he opened a little bottle of something. I think they were like number 10 pillules. They were so small. And he put a few in a piece of paper and made it like a funnel. And he opened her mouth, put them in, and he said, okay, there you go. And I thought, what do you mean, there you go? <laughs> and I said, okay, so do I give those to her twice a day or a few times a day? And he said, no, that's it. And I said, what do you mean that's it? And he said, that's it. That should take care of it. Uh, if you need me, you can email me next week. And meanwhile, are you thinking in your head, my husband is going to say, yes. what in the world? Yes. We went and checked out and I paid. So yeah, I drove home and I thought my husband is going to be so angry with me. What have I done? I just got taken for a ride because I didn't really have experience with homeopathy. I didn't really know what it was. I just knew I was trying to avoid that prescription medication. So got home. I had to admit to my husband what I'd done. He wasn't very happy with me, but it was bedtime. So we all went to bed. <laughs> so we woke up the next morning and I eagerly went in there and took her diaper off. And holy cow, that rash that had persisted horribly for over two months 
was 50% diminished. Wow. I could not believe it. I called my husband in there and we just kind of stared in disbelief. That was on a Tuesday. By Thursday, it was totally gone. Oh my goodness. I was floored. I was astounded. And I thought, I have got to know what that was. I couldn't believe it. Right. So did you call him? No. I dashed off an email to him saying, you won't believe this. But of course he did. Yeah. I had a friend at church who I knew used homeopathy. And she and I started talking about it and looking at things. And it was really over my head. There was so much minutia involved. And I got a couple of books that were for moms and, you know, things to help with infants and children. And I could kind of navigate through, but I didn't have a ton of success. And I didn't really know what I was looking for. I certainly didn't have anything as grand as that rash that disappeared in four <laughs> days. But then this friend came across Joette. And so she said, I've got to show you this stuff. So she introduced me to Joette's website and to the Banerjee stuff. And wow, I could do that. I could learn that stuff. Mm -hmm. It really was distilled in a way that I could understand and I could start using right away. But it wasn't really just homeopathy that Joette taught me. I think what Joette did was she came in line of a lot of other people who had prepared me, and Joette really gave me this message of freedom. I could be in charge of myself, truly. I really could do it, and I really could take care of my family myself. And that was huge. Yeah, that's what you had been looking for all along, talking about advocating for yourself. This is the ultimate. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And, you know, there are times when, going back to that idea of parameters, you know, we have to know what our situation is. And then within that, what are our choices? Which leads us right back to what you were saying in the beginning, which is freedom. Absolutely. And when my friend introduced me to Joette's website, I actually went all in. I joined a study group, I purchased several of her courses, and I started working with her one-on-one -on -one to learn more about homeopathy. That is and all in. <laughs> it is. And I don't think that's typical, but that was perfect for me because doing each one of those things sharpened what I was doing in the other areas. Mm -hmm. So I could hear something in a study group and talk to other experienced moms. And then I could listen and learn in the course I was taking and then have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Joette and say, now, wait a second, what did you mean by this? Or what about in this situation? So I was just learning a ton. So let me ask you a question here because a lot of moms ask me, so should I take a course? Should I join a study group? Should I consult with Joette? They're trying to figure out what's the best way to go about this. What do you recommend? I think it probably depends on where everybody is individually, where they're at. The reason that I started consulting with Joette was because I was desperate. I had something I like to call monster mom. <laughs> and I think other women can relate, but mine was really, really bad. I mean, I had done five rounds of IVF at that point, and those are heavy-duty drugs, lots of hormones, injections, I mean, all sorts of things. And my daily life really reflected that. I had these precious daughters that I wanted and treasured, yet I would find myself screaming and just being ridiculous, throwing things across the room and saying mean things. And it's totally not me. I mean, I'm a Christian woman and I love the Lord and that is not how I act or how I conduct myself. Yet it was happening all the time with more and more frequency. I was overwhelmed with life and I just couldn't get it together. So I had tried all the naturopathic things. I had done all the fancy testing. I had done all the supplements and all the natural hormones. Uh, I had done prescription hormones. And I had success with all of that stuff for about a month. Hmm. Each new thing would be about a month. And then Monster Mom would come back and <laughs> throw her head back and laugh and say, nope, she's still there and she's still in charge. <laughs> so I was really desperate. My family was desperate. We needed something. Monster Mom needed to be slayed. And that actually is why I said, I don't have time to learn this fast enough. Because I think I could have learned it, particularly with the feminopathy course. I could have learned it. But we were desperate, and I needed to work with Joette mm -hmm. to get a grip on it right away. And she did, in fact, teach me what I needed to know. And 
not only was Monster Mom slain, but then this is pretty funny, Kate. A few months later, I realized, my goodness, I haven't had a period in quite a while. And, huh, I wonder why not. But I, you know, we've never had a natural pregnancy, so I just didn't really track my cycles. So I didn't think much of it. But then another week went by and another week went by and I thought, my goodness, where's my cycle? And I kind of worked myself into a frenzy. And I thought, this is it. My body's given up on me. Oh, no. At 37, I must be full-blown diabetic because I had been trying to uproot some insulin resistance in me. Oh. And I had decided, well, forget it. You know, the homeopathy I was using didn't act. And I'm full-blown diabetic. And my body just isn't having periods anymore. And I realized, finally, I, I need to go talk to my doctor. Because if I really am diabetic, I need to do something. But before I go, I know the first step will be taking a pregnancy test. So let me get that out of the way. I woke my husband up at 2 in the morning because I was frantic. And I said, you have to go to the 24-hour store right now and get a test. And he said, no, it's 2 in the morning. I said, you have to go. I'm freaking out. So he's such a great husband. He got up and he went wow. at 2 in the morning. Wow. And you know what? He came home, Kate, and I was asleep. <laughs> oh no oh my gosh yeah. oh my goodness so anyway I woke up the next morning and I took that test and I could not believe it it was positive I was pregnant <gasps> we had been married at that point 13 years and it was the first natural conception that we have had without IVF I wasn't working on fertility but that happened and it was great. Wow. What a testimony to the fact that when you take the right remedies, it just fixes things that you're not even intending to work on, but it really works on your whole body. Yeah. So the remedy that I had used was sepia. And I think a lot of people know that's my all-time favorite remedy because it did slay Monster Mom in me. But then I got this little baby, my little sepia baby. Oh. <laughs> You know, Kate, that threw me into, okay, what am I going to do now? Because I'm pregnant and I do have that permanent transabdominal cerclage. Uh, that means that I absolutely have to have a C-section. There's no other option. And I knew that when I had that placed, but that was okay with me because live babies were better than babies who passed away. Right. But that meant I needed a lot of interventions. I couldn't have a home birth. I couldn't go to a birthing center. I couldn't even just have a vaginal birth at the hospital. I had to have a C-section. Mm -hmm. So I was pregnant with this surprise sepia baby, and I was overjoyed. But at the same time, I was really nervous. This was my 10th pregnancy. So in all of my previous pregnancies, I had had hyperemesis gravidum, which I think a lot of moms know that's not just a little bit of morning sickness. That's really, really severe vomiting and losing fluids and I would always end up in the ER and even hospitalized wow. uh, because I had it so terribly in all my previous pregnancies. So while I was excited about this little surprise sepia baby, I was pretty nervous about that. And I had decided previously that in future pregnancies, my plan would be to get weekly IV fluids to help prevent dehydration. And I would take whatever drugs they were giving for nausea and vomiting. Okay. Because I was trying to avoid ER and hospital. And I was even thinking, you know, I guess I'll just get a port so that I can have these medicines given to me very easily because I oh know I'll goodness. need them all the time. Wow. I mean, that's how severe it was. But I had a consult with Joette and I told her my fear and she said, why don't you consider looking at these remedies? And the first one, it didn't work for me. The second one didn't work for me. And I thought, oh, no, this isn't going to work. I'm going to have to, you know, use drugs. And the third one, oh, my gosh, it just stopped. I was done. I was done throwing up. I felt totally fine. I couldn't believe it. And that lasted for four days. <laughs> and then the hyperemesis came back. Okay. So then I, what? Yeah, then what? So I tried another remedy. And that was it. I took it twice a day for a few weeks, and then I didn't even need it anymore. Totally. And that was it? You were done? That was it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It was night and day. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. Because that was such a serious concern in all my previous pregnancies. Right. So I did. I had this drug-free pregnancy. 
I only used homeopathy, nutrient-dense food. Wow. It was fantastic. So I knew I would need a C-section, but I still wanted to be in charge of how my care went, even with the C-section. So I started really researching what needed to happen and what I wanted and what standard procedures were and was that okay with me? Was that what I wanted? And by this time, you're gaining confidence in using homeopathy, right? Because you've seen it work so many times. Yes, absolutely. Because in addition to chronic stuff that I had been able to uproot, I still had these little girls, you know, and husband, and at the time, two dogs. And I was helping take care of their needs left and right with homeopathy. Mm -hmm. I, I really, I was able to abandon all other modalities that I had been using because homeopathy took care of it. I just didn't need anything else anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the first things that I realized was what a blessing it was that my husband and I decided to not carry medical insurance. So we didn't have limitations and boundaries that insurance companies often place over which doctors or which facilities or how procedures have to go. Uh, we are part of a healthcare ministry where we share costs, but that puts us in the driver's seat. So that was a huge blessing that we had already made that decision a couple of years prior. And then I was able to choose the physician I wanted. So I chose the physician who has decades of experience He's closer to the end of his career than the beginning. He's at the top of his field. There's nowhere else for him to climb. So he doesn't have to prove anything to anyone. The other thing that was important to me was that he has lots of years of experience to remember when things used to be done a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. One example is currently if somebody goes in for a surgical procedure at a hospital, every surgical patient gets prophylactic antibiotics, period, the end. That's the story. And that's true for C-sections as well. And there actually can be good reason for that. But I have a really unique situation in that I'm not allowed to go into labor because of my transabdominal cerclage and my cervix won't change and, 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 and. So there are other things that are really particular to me that I was able to research and realize, in my opinion, for myself, I don't want those antibiotics. And because my surgeon didn't have anything to prove, and he could remember when that wasn't the standard procedure, mm -hmm. he was fine with me signing a declination form for no antibiotics. So that was one aspect. Um, another aspect was I really had to know the actual surgical procedure. They use chlorhexidine to do an incision site preparation now. Well, that's an antibiotic, and I didn't want that. So instead, I was able to say, hey, remember when they used to do the old betadine preps? I want an old betadine prep. And then when you close, just close the fascia and then give me a betadine bath for two or three minutes. Then close the skin this way. But I had to learn all of that, Kate. Oh I my had to, goodness. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I had to do a lot of research and I had, I had to talk to lots of medical people. And fortunately, because of my mother, I have access to lots of older nurses and old L&D people who remember how things used to be. Hmm. But you really have to learn what's going on. Just because something is a standard procedure now, it doesn't mean that that's the best thing for you in your situation. So you've got to be willing to dig in and look at that. Another aspect of my pregnancy was, well, I have to deal with a hospital. And they have consent forms. Have you ever read any of those consent forms? Oh, yes. Actually, because whether it's a dentist or any medical professional, they want you to sign lots of forms, right? Absolutely. So I had to jump through hoops to get a copy of the consents prior to my surgery day. Can you believe that? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, what do you need these for? And I said, well, it's 23 pages. I can't read that the morning of my surgery. So I got them a couple of months ahead of time and I read through them and they're shocking. There are shocking things in those consent forms. Catherine, you are amazing. <laughs> well, thank you. I don't think the hospital felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's as if when you question and you say, I want to read these, they're shocked, first of all, and then they, they act as if, why would you want to read these? You know, as if you're crazy for questioning them and just not signing, which I do not understand. Well, I'll tell you, later on when I did go the day of to sign them, I said to the ladies in the room, hey, do you know it says this? And they were shocked. They work there. 
It's their job to get the consent signed. And they didn't know that that's what it said. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things it says is it's at the hospital's discretion what they do with any body fluid, tissue, or body parts from surgery. And they can dispose of it, they can do research on it, or they can bank it, mm -hmm. which, frankly, it means they're going to sell it and make money on it. No, thank you. Not with my body parts. <laughs> and that was all throughout the consent forms. Not just the one you sign, but it's all throughout the booklet. So did you cross things off of the consent form? No. I contacted the hospital advocacy department. They assigned me my own personal advocate <laughs> because I called so frequently. And we worked with the hospital's legal department, and they drew up personalized consent forms for me. Oh. No one would think of this, right? That that's even an option. You just think, I don't have an option. I have to do what they're telling me. But that is amazing, Catherine. Well, and so that goes back to what I said at the beginning, knowing the true parameters. You know, I, if I had just read it and said, oh, well, this is what it is, you know, I would never have known. And, you know, kudos to the hospital because they did work with me. Mm -hmm. They really were great. Other things in the consent forms that might be concerning to people who listen to Joette's podcast, the consent forms will say that they're allowed to have a vendor, a medical vendor in the operating room. What is no, that? No, thank you. What is a medical vendor? Uh, I think probably if there is a material used in a surgery and it's sold by a particular company, that a rep from that company can be in the OR. Um, something else in the consents was that you consent to the procedure being photographed or videotaped. And I asked, well, what is the purpose of that? Is it for training purposes? Do you de-identify me? What body parts would be shown? And they didn't know. And I said, well, no, thank you. Just no videotaping or photography. Mm. There's a pretty blanket statement that says, I consent to standard protocols that hospitals employ being enacted. And I don't know what that means. Does that mean they automatically give a vitamin K injection? They automatically give erythromycin eye ointment? They automatically give a hep B? You know, I wanted to have control and choice over each of those things. So having that general statement of standard procedure was concerning to me. And then the last thing that was pretty funny to me that I had taken out of my consents was saying that I consented to having creditors text message my cell phone. And I said, first off, I'm already paid up because I paid cash and I paid ahead of time. So that won't be an issue. But no, thank you. They cannot send me texts. Oh, my goodness. You have to read those consent forms and know what's in them. And I don't know that every hospital or facility would be cooperative, but it doesn't hurt to ask and ask more than once and ask more than one department and go up the chain. Right. If you don't get the answers that you're looking for. Yeah. Right. Another thing that I really had to battle with in my pregnancy was the newborn screen. You guys are probably familiar with that. They do a heel prick and test the baby for a set right. of genetic disorders. Every state handles the newborn screen differently. Some states test for 73 genetic disorders. Some states test for only 22 disorders. And what are they testing for? Is that necessary? And then most importantly to me, what do they do with that blood sample? And so probably a lot of people just don't do the newborn screening. I actually, as I researched it, decided Yes, I did want to do that. And again, it's about choice. It was about me having the education and doing the research, doing a cost-benefit analysis, and I decided, yes, I did want the newborn screen. However, what they do is they take a newborn blood sample and they put it on a blood spot card, and I had to find out what they did with that. And I really had to dig. I spent a lot of hours talking to my state health department, getting different answers, and varying answers that didn't seem to all jive. So I spent a lot of hours digging into that. And I found out that they send the blood spot cards to a research facility, and they do the genetic screening and send the results out. And then they keep that blood spot card for 25 years, and they do research on it. And they can do experimental research, or they can do control research just to make sure that they're sticking with good procedures. And they even trade those blood samples with other states and other labs. And I thought, no way. 
So what's the alternative? If I don't want my state to have my child's blood sample for 25 years, what else can I do? Well, in Texas, you can opt out of that. However, that's all they tell you. They don't tell you that if you sign the opt out form, they still keep it and test it for two years. It's like a false statement that you can opt out. It's not really opting out. That's absolutely correct. And I then said to the state, okay, well, if someone opts out, when you do destroy it, what are you destroying? And they said they destroyed the blood spot card. I said, what about results from any testing? And they said, no, they don't destroy the results from any testing. And it was unclear whether they de-identify any results that they got from that blood spot card. So, you know, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it just doesn't seem like a good idea to me for the state to keep my child's blood. And you could go into a million what ifs, but at the end of the day, if they don't have the blood, there is no what ifs. Mm -hmm. Kate, I come back to, I wanted that newborn screen. So what could I do? Well, what I could do is I could do it privately. Yes. And I found an organization actually that was responsible in my state for increasing the number of genetic tests that are run because they had had a son who'd passed away from poor screening. So I was able to purchase very inexpensively a private newborn screen kit that is superior to the number of tests that my state runs. I took that thing to the hospital and they would not use it. And it was a disaster because they didn't know what forms to have me sign. They wanted me <laughs> to sign a religious declination form, you know, that I had religious reasons I was refusing the newborn screen. And I said, I'm not refusing the newborn screen. We are, in fact, doing the newborn screen. And they didn't know what to do with me. Honestly, I don't know what happened. I think they probably just wrote patient refuses to sign. Yeah. I put it in my folder. <laughs> but anyway, they didn't get my baby's blood. And so then I went off the next week to our pediatrician and she pulled the blood sample and I got to use my private newborn kit. This is all so fascinating. I'm so proud of you that you stuck to what you believed in and you didn't just go with what they said. But I'm sure there's more, right? There's the actual C-section. Okay. Tell us about that. So, so I went in and I had, again, done research and I had actually spoken to several hospital pharmacists at my delivering hospital several times to have discussions about pharmacology and the drugs that were typically used with the C-section. And I had to meet with anesthesia ahead of time too. So I had this list of all these drugs that they typically use. There's a lot of drugs, Kate, that are just thrown at people when they go in for a C-section. And I thought, no, 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 and no. So a lot of them. In particular, with my previous C-section, when they do the spinal, they include a drug called Duramorph, which is basically what keeps you pain-free after the numbing wears off. Okay. But I had a terrible allergic reaction to it. When I had my twins, I was hallucinating, and I was so itchy, and I couldn't stop vomiting, and I didn't actually get to see my babies the first 24 hours because I was so sick. So I knew this C-section, I did not want to experience that. And they couldn't come up with an alternative for me. And I said, well, then I'm just not having any. I guess it'll really be just homeopathy. <laughs> hmm. And so I went for my C-section and I had a special form that my surgeon, who's wonderful, signed, allowing me to use homeopathy in the OR. And so I did have bupivacaine, which numbs me so I wouldn't feel the incision. And they typically give a blood pressure medicine when they do that because the body automatically usually drops blood pressure. But the anesthesiologist was fine with me saying, let's wait until I feel like I need it. Uh, I will tell you that when I was on the table, I said to him, uh, how is my blood pressure? And he said, fine. And I said, I don't think so. You need to push that because I could tell I was crashing. And uh, sure enough, by the time he got it, he said, oh yeah, you were dropping. Wow. So I had those, I did have those two drugs and then at the end of my C-section, after the baby was taken out of me, I did have oxytocin, which I went back and forth about whether I should get or not. But because of my particular situation with my permanent cervage, I did do a lot of research and I ended up deciding, yes, that was a good move for me. So I had those three drugs. And so during the surgery, when I was on the table, I would have various symptoms that I needed homeopathy for. 
For example, I had terrible heartburn and my husband would get out the Magfoss and give me a pellet. Or if I felt nauseous, he would give me Nux Vomica. When I was anxious, for me, I like Argentum Nitricum. So he had all of these in his pocket and he was just dosing me. And again, I wasn't doing it on the slide. That was very important to me to be upfront with everyone. So I did have that permission form that my doctor had signed mm -hmm. so that the hospital was comfortable with me using these medicines. And I had a doula in the OR. She was another set of eyes and ears for me. And she knew everything I wanted, including how to prep me and how to close me. And she had remedies in her pocket too, in case my daughter needed remedies when she was born. And she didn't, but we were prepared. Some people thought I was way over-prepared for my C-section. But, you know, Kate, I disagree because I kind of made this flowchart in my head of it could go this way or this way or this way or this way or this way. And if so, then what? So I was prepared for any situation. I had a ton of remedies with me at the hospital. And I had flushed out all sorts of things. Like even if I needed blood products, I wanted to have my husband's blood. So we looked into a directive donation. There were reasons that that ended up not working out. But I mean, really, I was prepared for whatever might happen. I had it covered. And can you really be overprepared? I don't think so. No, absolutely not. My husband likes to say, we're only going three hours from home. You don't need to pack our whole house. And we're not going to a third world country. <laughs> and I say, yeah, but the grocery store there doesn't have this. So that was my C-section and it went great. The OR was great. The staff was incredible. And I had this little baby that was a surprise baby. And when the numbing agent wore off when I was in recovery, Kate, that was really bad. And I had gone ahead before it wore off and I had taken some of the remedies Joette suggests on her blog for surgery prep. And I fully expected those to act. And maybe they did, but I was in a world of hurt. Wow. And so for about four hours, I would say my pain level was between a nine and a 10. And it was not improving at all with the various remedies I was trying. And you know, I think it's really important to note that at that moment, I didn't have time to get on the computer and ask other moms for help. Right. And I didn't have time to get a book out. I needed some relief because I knew I could sit at a five or a six of pain, but I could not sit at a nine or a 10. And I didn't want to. You know, I had a new baby I wanted to nurse and introduce to my other daughters and just enjoy my family. So I did ask for my surgeon to come back and we came up with a drug to help with pain. And then that was it. That took care of the pain I was experiencing. And I was able to use homeopathy for other symptoms and other things that came up for me and the baby. And in less than 48 hours, I was out of there. I said to the surgeon, hey, I didn't have antibiotics. I got to get out of this hospital. Said, yeah, go home. <laughs> That's funny. I want to emphasize, Kate, that I didn't just go rogue during my pregnancy and C-section. I did work with my doctor to have a plan. I wasn't going to not address pain from being cut open or the potential for infection there. I just had a different plan than what the conventional medical community was offering. And while my doctor was unfamiliar with using homeopathy in that realm, he was so respectful. And he even asked me for my specific remedies and plan to make sure I had one. That's great. It sounds like you had a fantastic doctor. I wish we could all have doctors that worked with us like that. He really is one in a million. So for my newborn, as soon as we got to recovery, I gave her a dose of Aconite 200 just to clear her from, you know, any, anything that she may have experienced. I knew that the bupivacaine was injected into me while I was still pregnant with her. So that was her first drug she ever received was mm. that bupivacaine. Also, she was pretty jaundiced. They measured her and whatever they measure, she wasn't at a level where she needed further intervention because I was ready for that fight too. Mm -hmm. But instead I said, well, I've got this Chelidonium 6X right here, and it was ready to go. And I just administered that twice daily, and her jaundice cleared. It did take probably 10 days to clear it, but it was pretty significant jaundice. And I didn't have to do anything else besides that Chelidonium 6X. It acted beautifully. You have done an incredible job of preparing yourself. You must have done so much research and 
I know what it's like to have the remedies on hand for every possible situation. That must have taken you so much time to prepare that and to know all the what ifs and then here's what I'm going to do if that situation arises. It did. It took a lot of research and I had to go to the conventional medical world and say what happens if this, what happens if that, what typically occurs here, what typically occurs there because I was going to be in that world and I needed to know what I could do. Yeah, I think if you're going to be in that world, you do, you need to know what to expect because then you can be prepared. If you don't know what to expect, how can you be prepared? Right. And you know, that's true even outside of a hospital. Any birth, things are going to happen. So be ready. We don't have to be afraid of it, but we can be prepared. Okay, so not only have you used homeopathy with your birth, can you give us a list of the things that you've used homeopathy successfully for in your family? Oh, that list is so long, Kate. We would need several podcasts to go over <laughs> all my success stories. Uh, I can highlight a few. After my twins were born, I had de Quervain syndrome, which is a tendonitis, or sometimes it's called mommy's thumb, in both my wrists. And I ended up having this was years ago. I had steroid injections that didn't work on one hand, and I ended up having surgery on that hand, which was a terrible surgery, but I didn't have any other alternatives at the time. And sure enough, after I delivered Rosemary a few months ago, that de Quervain syndrome tendonitis showed up in the wrist that I had not had surgery on. But this time I had homeopathy. <laughs> and so instead of steroid injections and instead of surgery, I went right to my homeopathy kit and I got the remedy I knew. And I think it was three doses, and then it was done. It was taken care of. So that was huge. Uh, another success, recently my mom was really sick, and she finally went to the doctor, and they diagnosed her with pneumonia and bronchitis and gave her a litany of prescriptions. And she promptly put those away and called me and said, okay, what can I take? And I knew right what to give her for pneumonia and bronchitis. And so I took the remedies over to her. And within, I think, three days, she was all better and back at work. So that was pretty big. Amazing. Also, I think just last month, my dad actually fell, and he hit his head and his eye on our driveway, and it was really severe. He had a really awful gash. And so he had to go to the emergency room to get stitched up. And while he was in the emergency room, my mom called and said, here's what happened. I'm sending your brother to get homeopathy. Give him something. And so I saw a picture of my dad's eye and it was just so swollen closed. I mean, it was like a grapefruit sitting on his face. It was terrible. And I chose a combo remedy and my brother picked it up and took it to the hospital. And within four hours, my dad's eye was opened. The swelling was decreased, his eye was open, and within four days, it was almost totally gone. It was amazing. Looking at the pictures, it was spectacular. So, you know, he needed to go to the hospital to get stitches, but we were still able to employ homeopathy in a helpful manner. And not only for humans have you used homeopathy, but with animals too. Yes, absolutely. One time our beloved little Annie, she's a, about a 20 pound dog. Somehow she got out of the house and ran into the street. And all I heard was my husband yell, Annie's been hit. And my heart stopped and he ran outside and then ran back in carrying our dog. She'd been hit by a car and I could not think what to do. I was so overwhelmed. And so automatically that muscle memory kicked in and I grabbed the aconite and I took a dose and I gave the dog a dose of aconite. <laughs> then I was able to be calm and think through, okay, what do I need to do? And so my husband and I did do an exam on her because we are well equipped with diagnostic tools in our home. So I did that immediately and then at 10 minutes. And then I went ahead and I did call the vet and I was able to report to the vet, hey, I did these assessments. This is what I'm seeing do we need to come in? And the vet was completely comfortable with the assessment I had done and saying, no, I did monitor her. And of course I was giving her Arnica, but she was totally fine. And now, you know, she maybe could not have been if she had been hit differently, but I was able to take care of her in that situation with homeopathy. When you talk about diagnostic tools, what do you recommend to have on hand? Certainly have a stethoscope and know how to use it on people and animals. 
you would want to have something to look at pupil dilation quickly, not just the flashlight you have to go dig around for. So I like the eye light. Certainly an otoscope is important, a blood pressure cuff. And then you want things like tongue depressors and urine dipsticks and rapid strep tests, a glucometer. Those are all the things that I think are necessary just for a basic home diagnostic toolkit. There's a lot of ways to learn how to use those things nowadays with the internet. There's a lot of classes that you can take online or even just YouTube. Absolutely. So Catherine, I feel like we could go on and on and on, and I just want to sit here and listen to you and learn more. But let's wrap today's conversation up by just talking again about that freedom. Just give our listeners one final thought about the freedom that you have with the knowledge that you have gained. The overarching theme that homeopathy has brought my family is definitely freedom. Freedom to research, freedom to decide which course of action is best for us. You know, I recently heard a doctor tell somebody that with the medications he was taking, even one drop of alcohol would become toxic. And I know that the patient heard that doctor say that and thought, oh, wow, definitely no more alcohol for him ever again. But what I thought was, are you kidding? What kind of drugs is that man putting in his body every day that makes a normal beverage toxic to him? And so I think that we really have to be willing to have that paradigm switch. We have to be willing to think about things differently and ask, how can we get freedom? Are we truly living on our terms the way that we want to? So we have to question and examine from different paradigms. And with homeopathy, I don't have to be a slave to any one paradigm at all. I'm in charge. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing all this information with us. I learned so much tonight, and I feel like we could go on and on and even have a part two podcast. Maybe we will someday. I don't know. But thank you again. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you to this community and for Joette educating us and giving us this freedom. It's a huge blessing. You just listened to a podcast from practicalhomeopathy.com, where nationally certified homeopath public speaker and author Joette Calabrese shares her passion for helping families stay strong through homeopathy and nutrient-dense nutrition. Joette's podcasts are available on iTunes, Google Play, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Thank you for listening to this podcast with Joette Calabrese. To learn more and find out if homeopathy is a good fit for your health strategy, visit practicalhomeopathy.com.